What beautiful prophecies and promises. Amen? Man. And the joy of reading scripture that is being read around the globe is that uh, this morning, some of those were my scripture readings, and, and uh, so it's just good to hear the word again and again and again. Welcome to Believers. Uh, if you're new to Believers, uh, my name is Roger, and uh, I'm one of the elders here, and I have the joy of uh, being a part of this community for over 20 years, and uh, just love being with you guys. Sweet times of fellowship these Sunday mornings, so welcome. This morning, I want to uh, continue our sermon series, uh, Advent According to Philippians, and I get to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is peace, and uh, you'll find out why in the morning, in a minute. And um, But first, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't at least share a couple of Christmas dad jokes with you to begin. It's my, it's my joy. So what do you call a snowman with a six-pack? An abdominal snowman. That's one. Uh, what, uh, what do Santa's little helpers learn at school? The alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey. This is, this is my new favorite though. I'm killing it. If, uh, so this is my favorite. This is for you nerdy types. If 666 is an evil number, then 25.806975 is the root of all evil. Yeah, I like that one. Woo, okay. Bring it in. Ah, oh, friends, it's good to laugh together and to experience joy. Last week, uh, Israel talked about joy, so I just thought we would surf off that into joy. And now today we want to talk about peace, because in Advent, as you may know, we actually begin the Christian calendar again. Every year there's a whole calendar that begins with the Advent, the birth of Jesus. And we step into a story that brings us hope and joy and peace and love, right? But we, we also, as Gal talked about in the beginning of this series, we step into a story that's not yet finished, right? We know that there is hope, but, but we know there's joy. We know there's peace, but we know that it's not everywhere we look. We know it's not everywhere. And even though the story's begun, prophetic promises have been fulfilled. The story is not over. Aren't you glad? The story's not over. The kingdom has come and yet not fully here. And all that Jesus Christ prophesied is still unfolding, which means then that we have to learn to live in the tension, right? I hope you understand that's part of the spiritual journey on this earth. It's learning to live in the tension of the now and the not yet. And so we look back and that fuels us to look forward and we pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit, let your kingdom come. And that's where Advent sits, in the middle of this story for us all. And it's ironic that we we celebrate the coming of our Lord as the Advent of peace, and yet 
for many of us, the holidays are anything but peace-inducing, right? It reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if you guys, how many of you have ever been to Silver Dollar City? Woo! Okay, all right. So this is what I find fascinating about Silver Dollar City, that um, before there was ever a silver, Silver Dollar City, there was a cave, right? Anybody been to the cave at Silver Dollar City? Okay, yeah, Marvel Cave, right? Well, it was all about the cave, but people would, would come to look at the cave and then the, you know, there was lines. And so people thought, well, hey, let's, let's build some entertainment and some food and, and let's, you know, let's have something to, to do while we're waiting to see the cave, right? And then pretty soon, Silver Dollar City outgrew the cave, right? And people still go to the cave and it's cool, but, you know, there's rides. That's, that's kind of what we've done to Christmas, I think, right? It's all about the birth of Jesus. We sang Noel. I leaned over to my wife. I've been singing that song for years. And I says, what does Noel mean again? And it means the birth. God is birthing something. So today we want to begin in Philippians. Um, and as we see this theme of peace, which is a quality of an evidence of the kingdom of God coming in our midst. This is one of the ways that we know God is real and that God is here is when we experience the peace of God, the peace of Christ. It's the sign of God governing our hearts and minds and circumstances and world. And this theme of peace runs throughout the Bible. And yet we have to ask ourselves, what, is, what does it mean to look, what does biblical peace look like? How does Christ's coming actually bring us peace? According to the scriptures in Isaiah 9-6, another beautiful prophecy, Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born and he will be called wonderful and counselor, but he, one of the things he's called is the prince of peace. In Romans 14-7, Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then in Philippians 2, Paul begins his passage by saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every letter Paul wrote, he began with this prayer. This is a prayer. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. The sign of the ever-increasing kingdom in our lives should be ever-increasing peace and grace. Come on. And then Jesus himself, when he was about to, to go to his death, he told his disciples, look, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and I'm going to leave you one thing and it's going to be my peace. My peace I give to you. And then today in Philippians, we, we catch a vision of this as we see the theme of peace. And in, in, uh, in Philippians 4, 7 this is going to be our anchor verse. Do not be anxious about anything. This is such a beloved passage. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to, to God. And let's read that together. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ah, I love that verse. Right? Now, here's the reality of where we live, though, sometimes in this tension. Even though we long for peace, right? Even though our soul thrives on it and our world is desperate for it, amen? Yeah. 
Have you noticed that sometimes peace can be a bit elusive? And there are a lot of things that actually present themselves as, as a means of peace, but they're really counterfeit. Because the, while the kingdom of God may be peace, the world tries to offer us its own versions of peace, right? False peace. There's actually myths of peace. We, have, we all have our own myth about what, what makes us peaceful or what brings peace, right? For some of us, it might look like this, right? Serenity now. One of the most famous Seinfeld episodes, Frank Costanza, you know, he, he listened to a self-help tape. He decided that told him, anytime you need peace, just say serenity now. And so he's in these arguments and he just yells at the top of his lungs, serenity now. <laughs> Didn't really work for him. The Israelites had their own myth of peace in the midst of Jesus coming into their situation. In Jesus' day, the favorite myth of the Israelites was that, yes, there would be, the kingdom of God would be established, but it would be by a Messiah who would come by force and free the people from the oppression of the Roman Empire and occupation, which was suffocating the Jewish way of life. It was suffocating their culture. You see, the Jews were hoping for their myth of peace was political peace, right? We don't know anything about that here in America. (laughs) But they wanted to be vindicated and triumphant. And frankly, even the disciples bought into this vision of, of peace that would somehow put them on top, right? But Jesus came into the world offering a different kind of peace. Jesus wants to shatter our myths of peace. And it begs the question for you and for me today is, what kind of peace are are you hoping for? What kind of peace are you banking for? Where do you go to get your peace? See, I, I enjoy the myth of peace that comes from my personality because I'm a nine on the Enneagram. You know, people have called me the human spa because I'm like a walking, you know, blanket. I get, I get called blankets all the time, things like that. Because my personality is just bent, man. I do not like conflict. And I will work hard to create peace between people so that my inner world can be peaceful. I need peace, right? For some of us, peace comes through, you know, the, 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 the American dream of retirement, right? If I can just retire with enough money in my bank account and enough health and enough this and that, then I can finally relax and have the peace that I so desperately deserve, or good reputation, or even financial peace, right? I mean, a certain moderate measure of all these things can be useful, but here's the problem. As life becomes more difficult and challenging, and and even Paul the Apostle said, hey, the kingdom of heaven comes through hardship. There's going to be hardship. What happens is we tend to cling to these myths of peace, and we miss what God is actually trying to do. 
God's at work. The kingdom of God is not of this world, friends, is it? Which means that the peace of God will not be of this world. So instead of trying to whip up peace by screaming serenity now at the top of our lungs, we have to know what is the nature of true biblical peace that Paul is talking about here in Philippians. Well, actually, I believe that it can be summed up in one big, beautiful Hebrew word, and it's the word shalom. It's such a great word. In Arabic, it's the word salam. It's, it's actually the greeting that's used in, in the Middle East. You know, when you turn, you know, turn to your neighbor and just say shalom, right? You've just said hello, right? It's, it's the prayer. It's the greeting. It's, it's a value. And I love this idea because shalom means more than just the absence of conflict. It, is, it means to be safe and sound and healthy and perfect and complete and whole. And it signifies a sense of well-being and harmony both within and without. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Come on. Because peace in Scripture is describing this comprehensive welfare. When we talk about peace in the English language, sometimes we're thinking it either can refer to this inner tranquility that we talk about a lot and we work hard for, or this outward state of an absence of war. But as one commentator notes, biblical shalom conveys the picture of a circle. And the person in the center of the circle is related rightly and justly to every point on the circumference of the circle. It means communal well-being in every direction of my life, in every relationship. I kind of like that image, don't you? Of peace, the idea of peace being rightly related, rightly connected. And it's relational between God and myself and others and creation. It, it, it is this beautiful picture of all being well in the world that shalom is when everything is as it should be. When I think of the prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is what I think of, Lord, let everything be as it should be in my marriage, in my family, in my home, my relationships, my children, with my finances, my health, all of it, Lord, we pray your peace, your shalom. We see this to be true. And the reality is it always begins at the top with God, right? J.I. Packer says the peace of God is first and foremost peace with God. It is the state of affairs in which God, instead of being against us, is for us. No account of God's peace, which does not start here, can do other than mislead. C.S. Lewis said it this way, God cannot give us a peace and happiness apart from himself. There is no such thing. It is not there. See, the reality is we are not at peace with others. Because we're not at peace with ourselves. And we're not at peace with ourselves because we're not at peace with God. And so this is why Paul, in another letter to the church in Colossians, says this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, meaning Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And it begins, it's in heaven that I'm rightly related to heaven. I'm rightly related to the things on earth. And at the end of the day, friends, you can't have the peace of God unless you are at peace with God, right? It doesn't mean you don't have questions. It doesn't mean you don't have struggles. It doesn't mean you don't have doubts. But it does mean that you must receive and accept the peace that Jesus made on the cross for you. It is the only way. It is the only way that, that God could destroy the barrier of sin that separates you and I from him, from everything else. Is that settled in your heart? Or is there a barrier between you and him? Man, I need that peace, don't you? It always begins here for me. When I miss it, when I mess up, when I make a mistake, when I have a failure, when relationships aren't right, I have to start here. When I, when I, when I marry couples, and I've married a lot of couples in my, in my time. I, I've forgotten couples who I've, I can't even remember all the people I've married. But in the marriage ceremony, there's a point where we have communion together as their first act as a couple. And I always tell them this, look, this is the table that you have to come to again and again and again and receive the grace that is mediated through the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross so that you can then give the grace and the forgiveness and the love and the mercy and the kindness to others in your life, specifically your spouse and then your kids and then your neighbors and friends. Friends, this is the way we experience the peace of God the life of God. Which means that there is nothing, the peace that there is, that that nothing can separate me from that love, right? So what we have to understand about the nature of peace is that it's relational. How's it going in your relationship with God? How's it going in your relationship with one another, with your neighbors? How's it going in your relationship with your stuff? You know, are you stressed and worried and anxious about how to keep all your stuff together or whether you're going to have enough stuff? Are you, are you stressed about your kids or about your parents or, you know, are you anxious or are you at peace that, that you, through the grace of God, can know how to walk this out in a way that brings glory and honor to God? So what's the path of peace? Let's talk about that. There he is again jumping. What's the path of peace? If there is a myth of peace, then what is the path of peace that we, we have to take? What's the way to foster it? I want to leave you with three simple elements today. Three simple thoughts. Trust, truth, and train. Everybody say that. Trust, truth, and train. This is, I believe... A, a simple, straight way to remember, how do I get to peace in my life, right? First is this. Trust actually creates peace in my soul. 
Paul reminds us of this, and he says, we go back to Philippians 4, he says, don't be anxious about it, anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this act of praying and petitioning God is actually a form of saying, God, I'm going to trust you with all the things in my life. And I'm actually going to do it in a spirit of gratitude. See, there is an understanding that brings us peace, right? If I know that, you know, uh, things are going to work out with my job or my career or my bank account or my kids, I can be at peace pretty quickly, right? (laughs) It's not too hard to get to peace. There's an understanding that comes when, when everything happens the way it should. Relationships go the way they're supposed to, and it's peaceful, right? But when life moves beyond, has, has life ever moved beyond your understanding? <laughs> Every day, baby. <laughs> when life moves beyond your understanding and you can't get to the peace that understanding brings, you, have to, you need a peace that passes your understanding. But here's the, the deal. You can't get the peace that passes your understanding unless you are willing to give up the right to understand. All right. Snap. Should I drop the mic now or later? No. You can't get... The peace that passes understanding unless you're willing to give up the right to understand. It's that simple. And this is where our trust kicks in, right? Our trust that, God, my responsibility is to obey and surrender my heart and to yield myself to the will of God. Let's sing, let's sing the song. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Yeah, trust creates peace. One of my favorite verses is found in Isaiah 26, which affirms this for us. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, friends. See, the privilege of of having pastored this community for 18 or 19 years is I, I I got a front row seat on all kinds of crazy situations, right? We often say, you just can't make this stuff up. Tragedies and troubles and torment and trials and, t- and some of it's terrible stuff. But when I, I, I watch and I witness you walking in peace through stuff that doesn't make any sense to our understanding, I know there is a God. I know he's real. I know that the kingdom of heaven has come in our midst. Doesn't mean it's easy. 
But when we trust, it creates peace. Don't forget that. It's simple, but it's challenging to live at this place. So if we want to get to a place of trust that creates peace, what do we do? We have to anchor ourselves in the truth of reality, about who God is, about who we are, about the outcome of our life. What we put our trust in matters. Friends, if I were to look at some of your uh, viewing habits, I would suspect that you're putting your trust more in in the local news or the news media or social media or, or whatever else, friends. What are you putting your trust into? Or whatever myth of peace that you have bought into that won't get you to peace. Because trusting can only happen when we live in the reality of the truth and keep our mind stayed on Jesus. And friends, this is where the battle is. The battle is won or lost by what we think about God, ourselves, and our others. I'm reading, I'm reading for the second time a great book I want to recommend to you called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Anybody read that book? Yeah. It's powerful because it reminds us and wakes us up to the reality of the spiritual warfare and the nature of spiritual warfare that you or I are, are in every moment of every day. And the premise of that book is simply simple. That there is a devil who tries to sow deceptive lies. We have a flesh which is our des- that, that caters to our disordered desires that is normalized in a sinful society, which is the world. So you and I are going to fight to live in the truth and the reality of the truth every day because we are bombarded by the devil, by our flesh, and by the world. Which is why... Our community, friends, is so important, which is why showing up and just being a part of of hearing the word of God corporately together, because if you get isolated, guess what happens? You get picked off. And I just see it. I see it. We're living in an age and a culture where where people that, you know, I... People my age who are deconstructing their faith and never getting back. I don't mind deconstruction as long as there's a reconstruction and a a renewal, right? That takes us to a deeper place of hope and understanding and grace and truth. Which is why in the same passage, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is right... Whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Dwell on them. <laughs> oh, man, we need this. We need this. Desperately. Because there's a lot of other things that you could be thinking about that are not going to lead you to peace. Which is why the last simple thing... And we say this almost every week, but, but we mean it. In one way or another, we tell you, you got to train. You got to practice. Which is why Paul, right after he says, look, I want you to trust. And then, you know, pray about everything. Trust God for everything. And then be careful about what you think about, right? 
focus on the, what's true. And then he says, friends, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, just put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. <laughs> Train, training. We're always practicing. We're always training. You know, I would think by the time that I'm at 61 now, okay? I know I don't look it, but I'm 61. (laughs) And every morning, in fact, I think I have to work harder at trusting at 61 than I did at 41. Because at 41, I was stupid and I didn't know what I didn't know. (laughs) But now I know some things. Right? Back then, I didn't know Jack. But now I know some things. Right? And, and I've also lived a lot of life. And I've experienced a lot of life. And I've seen it not go so well for, for other people. You know? So that's not a guarantee. And so I have to practice. What do I practice? Well, if peace is relational, then I practice the presence of God in my life. I practice, if peace is trusting God, I practice relinquishing every day. And I give God, I surrender God. I, my, my prayer life has morphed over the years. I used to talk a lot to God. But now I just, I just give him everything. <laughs> I just surrender it all. I'm like, okay, God, every morning, Take all of me, God. I'm yours. That's what I pray. And then I go through. I, I, I use a litany of F's. I give him all my F-bombs. I give him my family. I give him my friends. I give him my future. You think I'm joking. I do this. <laughs> I give him my failures. I give him my finances. I give him my frame, my body. You see... We have to learn how to live in such a way that we can be this non-anxious presence. It's not, it's not serenity now, right? Sometimes it actually means going deeper. There was a season in my life of, of raising a very difficult emotionally challenged, behaviorally challenged special needs kid who we all love and adore and know. But man, I got to some places in my life, in my soul, in my emotions where I experienced feelings for another human being that I've never experienced before and I'm not talking good ones, right? So I had to go deep. I had to to get my butt back in a 12-step group to work this out, to sort it out so that I could detach these myths of what peace and success and life was supposed to look like so that I could relinquish. And that, that young man, my son, has become God's number one training instrument in my life. If you need some, I'll be happy to loan him out. Go hang with him. He's a good hang. <clears throat> but, you know, 
So I got in a 12 step. Sometimes it can be a little less intense, but I still have to practice. I still have to train. When I go golfing, I have to train. Because do you know how maddening it can be to try to get a little ball in a little hole a long, long way off? <laughs> and so what I learned is that I can be robbed of my peace in a golf game. That's how immature I am. And so I have two scores when I golf. I have my golf score, and I have what I call my peace score. And you think I'm joking. But I go, how am I doing on this hole? Because I'm finding myself getting pretty mad. I'm finding myself wanting to slam this club into the earth at a velocity which is not good. Right? So... You know, whatever you need to do to practice and train, there are some core practices. And I encourage you to figure out how to to get there. But prayer is uh, a pathway to peace. And learning how to get silent and still and to quiet your body. Because, listen, the things we go through, we are embodied spirits, friends. And your body keeps the score. There's a book by that title. If you think your body's not involved in this process, you're, you're mistaken. And, and I find that when I can train my body to be quiet, sometimes it actually helps my mind to be quiet. Sometimes it's the other way around. I have to, my mind, you know, I need all the help I can get. Practicing the presence, relinquishing all the things, prayer and supplication, the Lord is near. Right? Which brings us back to this passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to say one more thing in closing. Because if prayer... If true biblical peace, if shalom is relational, and if we have the peace of God in our soul and our hearts, then we are not only to be peace lovers, but we are called to be peacemakers because this is who we are. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Our very identity is connected to whether or not we will be those who not only, you know, get to peace from my... See, peace is not just about me getting to peace so I can go through my day without, you know, being interrupted. That's my nine self talking, you know, so I can have mindfulness and, and be, you know, but... If I want to be a non-anxious presence in the world, I'm going to have to, I have to do all that stuff. But it is unto something. It is unto bringing justice to an unjust world, bringing health and wholeness and wellness and this comprehensive picture that Jesus came to proclaim and declare the shalom of God. And so we do it by becoming little circle makers. Circle makers in our home, in our marriage, 
contending for the peace of God, praying, relinquishing, circle makers in our relationships, circle makers in our church. I'm convinced, friends, the church of Jesus Christ is the only hope for this crazy, messed up world. And it's not because of just the message we carry. It's the way we live our lives. It's the way we do relationships. It's the the way we we raise our, our families. And we're not perfect. I get that. But the world doesn't know peace. So God calls us. He challenges us. And that's my challenge to you guys today. You know, contend for the peace of God unto the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven, the peace of God. Amen? Can you guys stand with me? Thanks for hanging. It's a little little long. All right? Cool. Hallelujah. Let's let's just lift our hands in a, uh, a sign of Yes, Lord, me too. I need peace. I need the peace of Christ. And I want to close, and I'm going to pray a prayer out of Hebrews 13 and 2 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us, what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in all ways. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. All right. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas.